Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. Whenever I speak, I share these things, there is a, such a deep joy. It is completely effortless. I can do it 24 hours because it is me, a complete me. Society will improve if people are discovering their own nature, they are in harmony with their nature, then they will feel good, they will be more healthy and happy. The most beautiful book to study is the book of my own life, your life. And that book is inside all of us. And that book contains the meaning and purpose and destiny of our life. Javasu's teachings are called naturality. Naturality is to live according to our nature and walk our own path. The core of Javasu's teachings is about the fear of death and life, as well as the emergence of the ego in response to that fear. The ego helps us to escape the fear of death and promises us an illusory immortality. And this illusory immortality is needed during the early stages of life, but we must eventually go beyond the ego in order to experience freedom from fear. That's where naturality comes in. Born in 1956, Javasu was trained as a pediatrician in India. He and his wife Karen, also his teacher, served in the remote villages of Utrechtian Himalayas for 13 years. While living at Shivananda Ashram in Rishikesh, India, he experienced his first awakening, which came to full fruition 12 years later in an experience of wholeness and freedom from the psychological fear of death. Eventually the process culminated in the realization that death is an illusion, that the mind and body die, but consciousness is immortal. Currently, he is teaching courses about naturality and the fear of death and life in Canada, India, Ireland, Barbados, Dominica, and Ecuador. He also teaches acupuncture courses for the Contemporary Acupuncture Program at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Javasu conceived expansiveness meditation and the breath of dissolution, two elements of the naturality teachings. He also teaches that all spiritual experiences have a biological basis and that when the brain is cleared of its memories and emotional scars, it will connect to and clearly reflect the universe within and around us. Javasu is the author of many books including Meditation, A Path of Relaxation, Awareness and Expansion of Awareness, From Death to Immortality, Naturality, Science of Naturality, and Offerings in Longing and Love. I really appreciate the chance to catch up with Javasu more than a year after my yoga teacher training course I took with him in Rishikesh, India. There, we spent two hours a day learning the philosophies behind his naturality teachings as they applied to yoga, meditation, and Ayurvedic medicine. I like that naturality is inclusive of all religions, beliefs, and practices. All are welcome. Many of the principles align with the yogic lifestyle, and the idea is to create a union within yourself so that you live out your true nature and fulfill your destiny. You learn to know yourself by meditating on your passions, actions, thoughts, etc. It's a holistic philosophy that grounds and simultaneously expands your existence. 
When your life flows organically, your natural beauty and intelligence comes out and you become conscious of how to better work through the dilemmas in your life and make wiser choices. To give a better sense of my feelings about Javasu, I wanted to read what I wrote about him in my blog, studenttheworldblog.wordpress.com, published in January 15th of 2017. My meditation teacher Javasu is the most influential man I've met on this 15th month journey abroad. Javasu has equipped me with a steadiness of mind and a worldview from within that has never felt more comprehensive or complete. I have never been taught by someone who can express himself so clearly and wisely and with such an understandable and relatable viewpoint on living. Because of his background, Javasu is so good at synthesizing Indian cultural viewpoints steeped in traditional yoga texts for Western audiences like ourselves. He combines his Eastern understanding with modern science and Western religions and philosophies. Javasu is the teacher most of us connected with most because he is so understanding of Eastern and Western mindsets on living. He has learned so much from his own life experience, yet is so incredibly well researched and scholarly. He has both a scientific explanation and a spiritual explanation for everything that's happening in meditation and yoga. In the month I spent at the yoga ashram, I lived two doors down from him and saw for myself how incredibly stable he is. Javasu is a patient teacher and his wisdom shines in the stories he tells and the explanations he gives for some pretty heavy questions. His clarity of expression is the best I've ever witnessed. I felt so lucky to have someone make so much sense to me while he was teaching about so many new things in our daily philosophy and meditation classes. Perhaps the most distinguishing characteristic is that he is completely relatable to me because he too had a near-death experience that forever changed him. I really respect how he chooses to live out his life fearlessly, heart and soul centered, with peace of mind and compassion. It was a huge help to ask questions and better understand how I can triumph over trauma. I really respect how he chooses to live out his life fearlessly, heart and soul centered, with peace of mind and compassion. It was a huge help to ask questions and better understand how I can triumph over trauma. To me, Javasu is like the street lights that have suddenly come on as I've been walking on my path which is the light of my phone and my intuition. He's incredibly smart, educated, honest, real, and passionate. And with that, I'm excited to present to you, Javasu Pradeep Kumar. Hello, Javasu. It's nice to see you again. Hi, Tanur. So nice to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much for setting up this appointment with me. I, I uh, learned from you in India back in November and December of 2016, and you still remained, I think, my most influential teacher of any subject, any kind I've ever had. So you've had a big impact over how I kind of see my the world and myself in the world, and um, I'm really appreciative that people in my world that listen to this podcast get a chance to learn from your wise words of wisdom. Thank you very much, Tanur, for your kind word. Yes, we shared a lot. Uh, you know, during your stay in Rishikesh. And I'm glad that is what happened. Yeah. So you you teach naturality. And for you, naturality is about having an open and evolving system where you kind of get to the root cause of your life's problems and find solutions from within. It's a little bit different than kind of the materialism philosophy where those solutions come from outside. And you develop this creative adventure of exploration so I was kind of wondering for you and talking about purpose, because this is, podcast is called People of Purpose. Mm-hmm. How, does na- how does naturality inform becoming a person of, pers- of purpose? Well, the thing is that uh, naturality means uh, living according to our nature, 
walking our own path. So that is number one. Number two, naturality is neither religious nor even spiritual. It's about natural. Because we are born with our unique nature. Just like anything in this world or universe. Because even two grains of sand, two snowflakes, two butterflies can never be the same. And same is true about human beings. So what happens that once we are born in a society and culture, we have to adapt to that society, family or culture. And in that process, our unique nature is buried. It gets buried underneath mm. those influences of education because we have to adjust, we have to mold ourselves according to a particular uh, family or cultural structure. So whole idea is to bring that culture, to bring that nature, actually unique nature on the surface and let it express itself in a creative way. Because there is always a conflict between that unique nature in any human being and also whatever is expected or whatever the culture and society is expecting from us. So there is always a conflict. So the whole idea mm. of naturality is not to shun the society, not to reject the society, not to leave the culture, still maintain the connection, but focus becomes on our unique nature, where our creativity is, where life's fulfillment is. That is where the meaning and purpose is. Yeah. So I definitely want to unpack that. But first, I want to kind of talk about your purpose. So how has living according to naturality informed your specific purpose? Well, the thing is that uh, very early in my life, I developed fear of death. I was 10 years old and there was a big earthquake where I lived. And I realized that the building could collapse on me and I could die and my parents could die. So what happened that I developed fear of dying. And also I realized everybody else around me is also equally helpless in front of death. So following that, I developed anxiety. It became almost like post-traumatic stress problem. But I was not conscious of it because a 10-year-old child doesn't know much. But when I went to medical school, I gained that awareness of the past, what happened to me. And that is basically put me on this path of exploration. I really wanted to know the nature of fear of dying. That is why I went to a Hindu monastery in India and stayed there for five years. And that was really the beginning of insights into the whole problem of fear and particularly uh, fear of dying. And as I was exploring that, finally, in 1996, at the age of 40, what I call natural self or my unique nature was revealed to me. And it became crystal clear what I'm supposed to do in this life. Because what we call destiny or meaning or purpose in life is hidden within us. But because it gets buried underneath the social, cultural functioning, we become very busy. We don't realize it. But once we are on the path of this exploration, it is possible 
that this unique nature will surface. We will experience it and it will become quite clear what we are supposed to do. And that is what happened to me at the age of 40. And since then, it became clear to me that I'm supposed to teach naturality. Of course, in those days, uh, name was not clear, but something like this, because I discovered my nature so that became my destiny, to put it together, to teach it, to share it. Wow. And since discovering that, what's been the most beautiful thing you've been able to experience serving your purpose within naturality? Well, the thing is that uh, on this path of naturality, the most important thing which happened to me was the freedom from fear. And freedom from fear doesn't mean absence of fear, because fear is still will be there, because Biological fear is very important, but there is a freedom. Freedom means uh, the fear comes and then fear disappears. It doesn't bind you. It doesn't create bondage. Because most people, why they cannot discover their life's purpose or meaning? Because they become fearful. Because in order to discover your purpose or meaning in life, you have to take risk. If we don't want to take risk, if we want to stay in a very familiar, comfortable, pleasurable environment, which is known to us, it is very difficult to discover the meaning. And that's because fear traps you? Yes, that's right. Because once you are discovering the meaning, you have to explore the unknown, which you don't know. And in that unknown, there is a discovery. That is why this fear and this fear is, is primarily psychological. And because of this fear, we try to protect ourselves, lead a very conventional life, a life which is safe, in which there are no risk. But this protection becomes prison. So that was the most important thing, uh, that uh, freedom uh, from fear. Because once you become free from the fear psychologically, emotionally, then you take steps forward. You are not scared. It becomes an adventure. It becomes an exploration. So how do you recommend taking those first steps? And, and how do you even know what direction to take those steps in or how to take those? If, if you grow up in a culture where the expectation is to be secure and conventional and comfortable, how do you know how to take those first steps? Can you take them if you still have fear? Do you have to get rid of your fear first? No, still you will have fear. In spite of the fear, you move forward. But how to take the first step? And that is where the naturality begins. And in naturality, we always recommend or advise or suggest to have a healthy identity. Because before you discover yourself, the real meaning and purpose of life, we have to be very comfortable in our family, culture or community. We have to know how to negotiate. We have to find our place in the society. We must be capable of surviving physically, earning our livelihood, connected with the people. So that is where healthy identity becomes quite important. Do you think you can't really fully practice naturality until you're a self-sufficient adult? Sufficient in some ways. At least you are not struggling with yourself because I lived in Rishikesh in this monastery for five years. And what I found that many people, they put themselves on this path of discovering themselves or the meaning of their life. But their basic desire 
their basic personality was not formed so when they were in this monastery they were craving for little things they were missing those ordinary things of the life and they were not sure about themselves they were shaky because there was no sense of healthy i because this identity or i is a reference point and through this reference point we connect to the whole world and if that reference point is or i is shaky we develop anxiety we may develop depression we may become uncertain but don't you ultimately have to have to create a shaky eye or or even lose your sense of eyeness at some point to be able to really reach further states of enlightenment exactly so that is what happened that first of all you build healthy identity and once that healthy identity is built then you have to let go of that identity and that is where the second part in naturality begins which we call natural personality so healthy identity is basically borrowed from the society and culture and family but once we come to natural personality now we are entering into our unique self and ayurved in india had an excellent method through particular questions or to become aware of certain thing about our body and mind we start discovering our natural personality which is a door yes could you go into that how do you go about discovering your doors and looking within and what are some of the healthy exercises or practices one can do to start to understand what is their nature that they're trying to bring to the surface that's right so in natural personality first of all we discover what type of body or mind i have whether i have a wind type of personality or i have fire type of personality or i have earth type of personality because by discovering that basically i am studying the book of my own life you can call self study so i become aware what kind of person i am in mind and body and once i discover then i adjust my lifestyle in relation to my sleep exercise food relationships clothes work home and also various mind body tools the what kind of yoga or movement i need what kind of breathing exercise i need what kind of meditation technique i need so that depends on discovering uh, the natural personality by the help of a questionnaire which gives me a beginning inkling a questionnaire can never discover the natural personality but it gives me some idea in the beginning what questionnaire is this that you use uh this is a questionnaire which we made although it is uh, basically borrowed from the ayurveda ayurveda inspired us but we modified it and we turned into more of a scientific questionnaire so we have around 11 or 12 question which gives us initially a kick start about uh, what kind of mind body i have would you be able to give me those questions so i could share that with people listening absolutely so i will send you uh, you know this evening that's not a problem awesome cool because past life style was according to the social and cultural and family structure but new life style is according to my own mind and body so once more and more aligned with my mind and body then i will walk further on this path and once 
I'm deep into it, there may be a breakthrough and that breakthrough will be about my natural self. And natural self means finally we can discover or experience and express who am I, my unique nature. Yeah. And with that is revealed my distant, my true meaning, my purpose. Oh, that's beautiful. So what is that destiny and true meaning and purpose that you've discovered for yourself? Uh, you're clearly a teacher. You've developed a philosophy. How do you put that into words? What is your purpose? My purpose is, uh, as far as external purpose is concerned, is to really put together new teachings of naturality and share it with others. Because whenever I speak, I share these things, there is a, such a deep joy. It is completely effortless. I can do it 24 hours because it is me, a complete me. So there is no a dichotomy between my present work and my mind and body or my spirit, whatever you can call it. They are one. What is that feeling for them to be one? What do you mean by that? One means that our continuous explosion of insights, mm. creativity, without thinking about it much. So whether in the dream or I wake up in the night or during the day, there is a constant uh, creative ideas are formed and they are written and shared. Number two, it's effortless. It is not really a thinking process. Thoughts came come later to explain it. Number three, there is a sense of well-being. You feel good. Sometimes it turns into ecstasy. So there is a continuous sense of well-being. Sometimes it feels as if I'm drunk all the time. <laughs> yeah. And of course, whatever happened in the past, it is healed also. Yeah. So life became almost like a gentle dance. Of course, problems happen. Sometimes fear comes. Sometimes this happens. Anger happened, but that is very temporary. So that is how it feels that there is no split inside. There is no conflict inside me. And all energies are focused on whatever I'm working upon. And there is a tremendous amount of excitement and thrill. So if something is aligned with our naturality, is it necessary that that come easily to us when we first begin it? Or can that be a challenge at first? In the beginning, uh, it is a slow process. It comes and disappears, comes and disappears. But after a while, it is just like a continuous flow. It is completely effortless. You are living it without any trying because it's very natural. What are some of the common things that you think that people discover when they discover their naturality? They discover harmony, flow. What are some of those commonalities between everyone's own sense of naturality that you're finding? The first thing, as I mentioned, is uh, there is a freedom from fear. And once that is there, we feel a sense of expansion, as if the bondage is broken, that we don't have boundaries inside. That is number one. Number two, there is a, a spontaneous meditative state. Because once you come to this, then meditation happens to you. And what is the meaning of meditation? Meditation means continuous sense of awareness and spontaneously, no effort. So after you, you come to this place, there is no need to meditate anymore. Wow, because life becomes a meditation because you're constantly unraveling new levels of awareness. Is that exactly. synonymous with enlightenment or what's the difference between you know, infinite awareness and enlightenment? The uh, thing is that the enlightenment from my point of view is not a point. It is a process. Yeah. 
So I will say once healthy identity is formed, that is the first experience of enlightenment. Then you go into natural natural personality, then your enlightenment is deepening. And it deepens further when you are coming to your naturality or natural self. Yeah. But this is not the last one. This is just another point in the process because there is a more to it. So after this, there is another state of enlightenment we call expansive mind. Expansive mind means in your natural self, your individual being is fully functional. But in expansive mind, which is another state of enlightenment, you become universal. You connect to the whole world effortlessly. But that is not even the last state. The final one is we call expansive stillness. That is where all the boundaries are broken. And you are mentioning about that. It's a infinite. It is boundless. It is eternal. So to me, or from naturality point of view, enlightenment actually begins with healthy identity and it moves further, deeper and expands. And finally, it reaches to the point of expansive stillness when everything is silent, boundless, infinite, eternal. And that can happen while you're still alive to find the expansive stillness? Absolutely. Because what is the use of it? after we die. So that is why if you look into various traditions, it has to be achieved here and now. And you're saying there's not one true way to achieve that. You achieve that through your own personality and any medium is okay. You can do it through sports and politics and even your own religious practice and etc. Exactly. And if, even if you are atheist, you are a musician, you are a diver, you are a mountain climber, you can be anything and that becomes your door. Hmm. Because each one of us has our own unique door. And that is where natural personality will tell us what is my unique door. Because if I'm trying to enter through somebody else's door, it will be a struggle. Once I enter through my door, it becomes easier. So that is why I, I often mention a beautiful book. And that book is uh, written by Steve Kotler. And the name of the book is Rise of Superman. I was just about to bring this up. I read this book after you recommended it. Yes. And once you read, you know, you know that they were all athletes, sports people, divers, surfers, and they touched the same state, which we call enlightenment. And very few of them were religious people. And that is the whole emphasis on naturality. Whosoever you are, you are the door to that enlightenment. Do you think this has been true for all time or is it even more true today than before in the past? Like you talk about we're in this third axial period, third axial age. That's right. Yeah, it became uh, more and more relevant and prominent. And why? The reason being that in the past, because humans are evolving continuously, but in the past, survival was more difficult because of the natural phenomena, because of lack of such science and technology. So we were the part of the family, tribe, village and groups, right? Right. Now, the whole thing about what you are calling enlightenment, it is the path of individuality. 
you can do religious ritual or you can become the part of religion if you are a part of group because that is how religion is practiced whether it's a church or a mosque or a temple lot of people they come together they do ritual they do worship they could do prayer and things like that but once you are talking about enlightenment or naturality this is the path of individual slowly you have to move away from the group because it is going within mm. it is not going outside and you cannot take anybody with you inside it is the path of aloneness and if you are seeing in last 300 years the world is changing world is becoming more and more individual yeah emphasis on individual that is why lot of family ties are broken that is why the kind of community we used to have or groups we used to have those are slowly disappearing because there is so much of emphasis on individual fulfillment even so yeah you come from i think you're a very interesting case because you definitely come from a very eastern background but now you're very mm-hmm. steeped in western cultural tradition so you kind of have seen both like that big familial group highly devotional religious structure and then you've also experienced the atheist agnostic individualistic materialistic side of things that's right and i learned so much from the western culture because western culture has such a profound beauty just like eastern culture has but both cultures have their limitations yeah so what i from from western culture is the reason the logic the science the individuality the intellect because that is how western civilization is built such solid foundation it's a miracle but from eastern culture i was connected to the group i was connected to the spirituality we talked always about going beyond and what i found that in me they are working in total harmony i don't have any conflict and that is why coming to canada helped me to form the whole teachings of naturality and actually i learned from a number of great teachers and philosophers i never met any one of them but their writings influenced me deeply wow yeah who are some of those people yeah uh, the most influential is Ernest Baker uh his book the denial of death because i had fear of death so i have gone through his work he was an anthropologist and he won pulitzer prize back in 70s on this book the denial of death the second one which influenced me a lot is antonio damasio he's a neuroscientist and his uh, recent book is strange order of things and he first time brought feelings under scientific investigations according to him feeling is the most important component of human beings and that is what all spiritual traditions they say feeling because we are talking about meaning and purpose in life now when i have meaning when i feel life is meaningful what is this is it a thought or it is a feeling it is feeling. a is a feeling love is feeling enlightenment is feeling everything beauty is a feeling everything in our life which is most profound is all about feeling but we always ignored feeling uh, in science but antonio demasio is the first person who said no feeling it is at the very core of human beings so he influenced me a lot and the third one is ken wilber ken wilber helped me to organize my thoughts so these are the three very influential 
uh, writers, philosopher, teachers uh, from whom I learned a lot. Can you explain organize your thoughts? What do you mean by that? The uh, thing is that uh, the beauty of Western mind is they put everything into neat categories. They classify because in science, you cannot proceed unless you clarify, you give the reason and you neatly categorize. So when I came to Canada, I had so many experiences, so many thought processes were going on and I was sort of lost in it. But Ken Wilbur's work helped me to organize them so I could understand them clearly. I could express and share them clearly. Yeah, nice. So yeah, you clearly get a lot of wisdom from reading and from other teachers. Yes. What about those five years in the Hindu monastery? What about that kind of turned you in towards your purpose and your naturality? I think uh, there was the biggest experience, uh, spiritual experience you can call, happened in that monastery in 1984. I was taking a siesta in hot afternoon of June, June 7, and suddenly my body was filled with electricity. And it gave me such a severe headache, I thought my brain will explode. The experience lasted roughly, I think, 10 minutes. And later on, what I found, that was Kundalini experience, what we call Kundalini experience. And that happened in that monastery, June 7, 1984. Can you explain that experience? What is a Kundalini experience for people not familiar with anything about Kundalini yoga? Right. Well, Kundalini simply means the energy, the bioenergy. And the energy which is responsible for the formation of our world or universe as Einstein proved, E is equivalent to mc square. Everything is energy. And part of that energy is bioenergy in living beings. So my body and mind are formed by the same bioenergy. Only thing is that, as I was mentioning, that once we are growing in a society or family, uh, most of that energy becomes dormant. It is not active. That is why we don't feel fulfilled. That is why uh, we are looking for the meaning and purpose in our life. And that dormant energy is called Kundalini in Indian system. Kundalini means a which is in the form of a coil. Because coil is of a snake. So a snake, when it is coiled, it is dormant. It is restful. But when a serpent or a snake is awakened, it becomes alert. So same thing about this bioenergy which remains dormant, it is coiled, it is not fully active. But once it is awakened, it will flow through the body and ultimately flow through the brain and it will make the brain fully active. And that is what is called Kundalini awakening, which is described in Kundalini Yoga. So Kundalini is nothing else but bioenergy, which is not fully active. Awakening of it will make us not only alert and attentive, but we will realize our full potential. Yeah, so yours got awakened while you were at the Hindu monastery. Yeah. And what did that look like afterwards? How did your awakened Kundalini potential uh, manifest itself? Well, slowly what happened, I intermittently start falling into deep ecstasy. And gradually, lot because I was suffering from anxiety and a variety of problems, that also start changing. I was feeling the flow of energy at different points in my body. People call it chakra. But its full experience came in 1996, after 12 years. 
After 12 years, my brain and my body continuously vibrates with this energy. You don't think it vibrated like that before and you just weren't aware of it? Yeah, I was aware it was happening intermittently, but not continuously, not strongly. But since 1996, this experience is every day. Like I'm just talking to you and I can feel my whole body and brain is filled with this energy and the whole vibrations, they are surrounding my body also. And it's a very pleasant sensation. Yeah, that sounds amazing. That doesn't ever go away if you have anger or stress or tiredness or anything like that? It will become less. Sometimes it feels as if it disappeared. But as soon as I'm quiet, it comes again. So you are very right. If there is a stress, if I'm engaged in something, if I'm angry or something, you know, concentrating, then this sensation becomes much more mild. But then it comes back very quickly. So I'm curious, what is your relationship like with your root culture, with your family, with, you know, where you come from now that you have opened up your own individual door of naturality. Mm -hmm. What's it like when you go back through the door and go back to your, see your family and such? It's no problem because uh, my relationship deepened with my family. But that deepening doesn't mean I'm bounded by them. So, because once this kind of awakening happens, in a state of attachment, you develop true relationship. Because attachment is a bondage. But relationship is connection but without any bondage. Mm -hmm. So I'm free to explore. But in that freedom, there is a very deep relationship with my family, with my people, with my surroundings. And there is no conflict, hardly yeah. any. So how about your own relationship? Um, you said that it's such an individual path, the path of individuality, a path of aloneness. But you're a, mar yes. you're a married man. How do you reconcile sort of the obligations you may have to live for someone else as well as living for yourself? It is very easy. Why it is easy? Because all these things, they happen inside. So with my family, I cook food, I clean, I earn money, I talk to my children, I solve their problems, everything. Because those are externalities and they are technical aspect of life. What we call this awakening is entirely inside. So inside it goes on all the time. Meanwhile, I mastered or I became almost expert in dealing those things, you know, how to clean the house, how to cook the food. So that goes on. But inside me, this also goes on all the time. Yeah. So I'm able to fulfill most of my duties without any problem. Did you ever go through a, a part where you were maybe struggling to decide if you wanted to be more of a monk than to be a homeowner? I think uh, once in a while, very rarely, this idea came to me. But it never stayed. Why do you think that is? Why is your naturality not in living at a temple or a monastery and practicing you know, spiritual awakenings for people? Well, I think uh, by nature, I'm a family person. I'm not a renouncer. I'm not a monk-like person. Uh, to me, I wanted to find freedom in relationship, not freedom from relationship. Because I think each individual has their unique nature. I'm sure uh, some people in my state would have said goodbye to everything and they were going to become a monk. Once or twice I had that feeling, but that was very fleeting feeling because yeah. my nature is a very family type. So I'm very comfortable. So yeah, I've noticed as I've been in some of these yoga and meditation communities, 
that that same thing you talk about in naturality, that there's a pull between what is your individual door of purpose and naturality and what is the cultural expectation. The cultural expectation of those sort of communities is almost like you should choose the antithesis of the culture you, you came from, but you can still maintain some sort of hybrid state where you, you are a true family man, you still are very grounded in some of the things within society, but also you can renounce and you can live present momently and all that. It's not a problem if you really go into India's history. Before Buddha, there was no clear monastic way of life. You know, a lot of people who were awakened, they live with their family and children. There was no conflict. But that depends on individual. Just like I said, I never want to leave my family. Right. I have no desire from inside because whatever I'm supposed to do, I'm doing along with the family. But I know there are certain people who would like to quit upon family life. And I will say, yes, that is their nature. They have to decide. Do you help with some counseling decisions sometimes? Someone's having to make a tough choice between whether or not they should separate from their family or not? Like, that seems like a big deal. Uh, yeah, no, uh, certainly people come. I go with them through all these problems also. What to do in this situation? Yes, I do. What do you think a good teacher should do when in these sort of situations? Do you, you don't just prescribe the path of them. You have, they have to discover it themselves. So how do, you, how do you balance the two? Yeah, exactly. There is no prescription and it's so important to know the nature of that person and advise accordingly, not according to what, how I'm living or what is my philosophy. Idea is that person has to discover and one can help in the discovery. That is what we can do. Do you think you can know the nature of that person easily or does that take a lot of time in a complex you know, relationship to be able to, to say, I know the nature of this person enough to advise them? It is not very easy, but it is not complex either. We made it complex, but actually, as I said, that once we sit with certain questions, explore them deeply, it doesn't take uh, a very long time. What are a couple examples of these questions that, that are important to know? So, for example, under stress, what kind of response comes, whether it's fear or anger or one remain calm, or one freezes or paralyzes. Uh, what kind particular person likes? Creative work, leadership work, or caretaker? Also, what is the pulse rate, heart rate? So all those, uh, some fundamental questions will tell you the type of person he or she is. Hmm. And then you go deeper into their life. So certainly it is a process, but it is not as complex. Problem is that most people in the teaching position, they want following. They want others to follow them, right? Because that right. happens in religion. That is how, what gurus do. They want more and more people to follow. Well, I think you justify that by saying that what I'm teaching is so good that if this can be multiplied, yes. then the society becomes improved. You don't, you don't agree with that? No, not at all. Society will improve if People are discovering their own nature. They are in harmony with their nature. Then they will feel good. They will be more healthy and happy. If I'm saying that this is my teaching and you follow those teachings, then it's not going to help them because they are not discovering themselves. Meaning and purpose in life can be discovered only from within. So that is why a guru or teacher's 
primary work is to know the nature and say that to the person now this is up to you to explore but it happens opposite because if somebody wants to build a big ashram big community big monastery they need money they need people's services so they want people to follow them right and that a disaster so there's this big emphasis on making money in western culture on your progress having some sort of tangible reward yes and Certainly, people get very caught up in accumulating massive amounts of this, and that becomes this never-ending, you know, chase for more and more. What what advice do you have for someone that that really does feel like um, a business profit-seeking thing is is part of their nature? How do they how do they find peace within that sort of lifestyle? Yeah, thing is that as I said that in naturality, anything can become the door. So I will say if somebody loves business. somebody wants to earn money i never say it is wrong i say is very beautiful only thing is that just don't stop at that because if you are doing business accumulating money only then you are not expanding further you are going nowhere you are moving at the same level so instead of millionaire you can become a billionaire but the problem is you are staying at the same level right because the fundamental difference between millionaire and billionaire is quantity not the quality mm. so that is the primary thing about naturality that yes uh, you love your business and you want to earn money you must earn money because that is your passion but don't get stuck because with that business you have to develop awareness so we never say that quit on money leave the money no because that is a door to that person and what is that awareness that they need to be moving towards because most of the time when people earn money they don't pay attention they only pay attention to the external mm-hmm. right they don't pay attention inside awareness what is going on within themselves but they have these moments of extreme ecstasy and joy from you know getting an amazing deal or winning a, a massive trade or being recognized by the media these flashes of that's what people live for i think a lot in western society this winning the championship that sort of feeling do you think that that can become a distraction from what's truly happening inside that's correct because that becomes like addiction it's like because if somebody gets ecstasy or the, you know those moment that is a result of many neurochemicals in the brain it's like brain's drug is flowing now so people get addicted but the problem is because there is a lack of awareness then other parts of the life start falling apart whether it is relationship yeah. whether it is health whether it is other parts of quality of life so that is what happens in most cases yeah that it becomes focused on a very small part of total life but to become aware means that when we can look at the whole life itself not only the money part not only the sports part not only some other part that is a door to enter so there is no rejection of money there is no rejection of this and that but that then the awareness has to come that what is missing and that is where the business becomes the door then one can enter deeper into oneself So you don't find that there's a universal door to enter into? Like I just did a Vipassana meditation course for 10 days and right. one of the very attractive parts of that is that 
It's directly from the teaching of the Buddha 2,500 years ago, and it's universal. It, like, like naturality, it takes people from any background, any religion, um, any spirituality, and does a scientific approach for you to search for those doors within so that you reach liberation from your pain and suffering. Mm. And it does it through just a very simple thing of scanning your body and recognizing you know, how your senses outside are being perceived on the inside. You don't really mm-hmm. recommend any universal techniques for anyone to come into no, naturality? Not really, no. That is why we recommend a huge variety of techniques because some people are feeling type. Feeling type, people are more devotional type. So they have to go a very different route. Heartfulness, not mindfulness. People who are more intellectual, mind-oriented, for them, mindfulness is better. So it depends on my nature, what kind of person I am, because a lot of people, they can't do Vipassana. They tried. Either they left in the middle or after 10 days, they didn't get the same benefit because it is not aligned to their nature. Idea is to discover my own way going and Vipassana is an excellent technique and method. But it is just one of the many. It is not the only one. There is nothing like one single thing will suit everybody because we are, we have different nature. I mean, ultimately we will reach the same place, whether through Vipassana or other method. But as far as the door is concerned, method is concerned, technique is concerned, it has to be different for different people. So how do you know what is a good method for yourself? And that is discovered in natural personality. Because natural personality will give you idea what kind of nature I have. So what kind of tool I should suggest? What kind of tool I should use? So for example, if somebody is body type, there is a heavy emphasis on body, earth type people. Now what kind of thing will be good for them? Chanting will be great for them. Yoga will be great for them. Movement will be great for them because they are body type. They need that activity. But there is a uh, more fire type. They will love Vipassana. If they are wind type, they will do something very light because their body and mind are not so sturdy to endure a 10 days or 12 days. They need very light beginning. So you think you kind of need what I'm a little bit confused. You said that a, a heavier earthy body oriented person needs movement. Why don't you think that the light, wind-oriented person needs sitting and sturdiness? The thing is that, for example, I will tell you my personality is Mm -hmm. wind type. I can sit for an hour or two. Beyond that, it is impossible for me. (laughs) Right? And I tried, but I didn't like it. But I tried in the beginning other type of practices, and that suited me very well. And I could easily enter into into deep state without any difficulty. So you think near the beginning of trying a practice, you can determine whether or not it's good for you? There's not like a, a learning curve or a challenge period that you need to endure to find the peace on the other end? You can try that. You can try that also that if you want to really try something, may not be a bad idea. But in naturality, from the very beginning, we suggest that take the path of the water means least resistance Mm. because then you will flow very easily and smoothly. So in naturality, we take more what I call feminine path, least resistance, least struggle. And later on, if you want to try anything, it's great. So I'm not saying that is wrong because most of the path uh, of struggle is taken by fire type of people. Fire type of people, they are very determined people. If they choose is fine. But in naturality, we say 
least resistance and minimal struggle. So it becomes a part of your life so that you could do anywhere, anytime, every day. Yeah, it's like a person that's going to diet instead of doing a, a one week or two week really difficult diet where you hate it every day, but you're losing your weight. You, it's something that you can actually make a part of your sustainable lifestyle. Exactly, because then it will last and it will become the practice every day. Because in order to really succeed and reach some point, consistency is needed. Right. It is not only half an hour or one hour a week or five hours a week. It has to become the part of living. Then it will flourish. Yeah, yeah that's really interesting. So I'm also getting into education and teaching. I'm about to pursue a master's degree in San Francisco. And I'll be working in a, a middle school that serves like a kind of a lower income population that hasn't really come from a background filled with opportunities. And this is like a type of school that kind of helps them reframe the possibilities for their futures. And it all sounds amazing and wonderful. But I know also that in American culture and elsewhere, there's this very, um, the solution to getting ahead in, in school is to have high test scores, to go to a good college to work towards a, you know, a prestigious career. Mm -hmm. How would you instruct teachers and students also in middle schools and high schools? How do you see education as being a very, like what's your ideal form of education at that age to prepare you for an adult life? If you literally go into this word education, education literally means bringing forth whatever is there in you. That is the literal meaning of education that whatever you have inside you bring it forth in front and express it. But that is a very difficult thing because as you mentioned, schools basically are the preparation ground for the future jobs because everybody wants to do that. So just like in our universities, universities are not truly the institutions of learning. They are the institution which gives degree, which makes you skillful so one could get the job, right? So the same dilemma is in schools also because everything is geared towards money, competition, better job. And you cannot bring any radical change in the school because it's a huge system. So you have to provide that kind of thing which is demanded in a school. But still you can do one thing or I can do one thing as a teacher to put the seed of the real meaning of life, real purpose of life. Because you cannot teach a student that find your own way. It will be difficult because there is so much expectation of parents. But even in that quite rigid system, we can recognize the personality of particular student and sow the seeds that, okay, you are doing this. You will adopt the path of the job making money. But don't forget that you have something very unique in you. So once you become comfortable, once you find your place in the society, then the next step will be, that is what you must do. Yeah, and so also as a parent or a teacher, you don't want to be too quick to pass that sense of identity. They need to still have a grounding within society at first to be able to move from. Exactly. So that is why you cannot disturb that system because that child has to find as an adult the place in the society, culture and family. But simultaneously sowing the seeds, hinting, pointing out. So that there is a possibility that seed which we sowed may sprout and become a tree much later. 
So would you consider yourself to be the creator or the founder of naturality philosophy? That's right. You can call it founder or creator. I mean, the ideas which are put in naturality, nothing original or new, but they are redefined according to, to the world culture in a new form. And there is a very strong uh, component of science also. Yeah, could you go into that science component? I know that when you were teaching us, you always had a lot of scientific justification for everything. So what is it that meditation does or yoga does scientifically that brings you closer to your purpose, your naturality? If you really look at the brain, as we are growing up as children, our brain gets conditioned. Conditioned means the beliefs, the tradition, the culture the education, the customs, that is what we absorb as children. So we are conditioned by our background and culture. So that means our brain develops a particular pattern of responding, of reacting, seeing the world in a particular way. And that limits us. That becomes a bondage. So brain becomes habitual. A pattern is formed. So what is the idea of meditation and yoga is to break those patterns. Because those patterns belong to the past. There's nothing new in them. While I want to discover my inherent capability, my unique nature. But how I can discover my unique nature if I'm responding, reacting, seeing the world from a point of view which was given to me by others. So the role of yoga and meditation is to break those patterns. Yeah, and then that's when a new level of unfolding begins and then you have a new realm of, of things to become aware of. Um, and that's when insight upon insight starts to come. Exactly. Yeah, that's a logical progression in my mind. Yes. What are some of the things that you maybe believe that others in society may think is totally insane or even wrong? Well, the thing is that a lot of these uh, inner experiences because people are not familiar so some people think, you know, there's something wrong with me or some of the insight about my past lives. So naturally, a lot of people don't believe in that because I never left the society. I never left the culture. I never left the family. So in some ways, I behave quite normally. But in other ways, I don't follow the society. But people always thought, my way is a very weird way and I'm forming naturality and I'm talking about these experiences. So, but it doesn't make any difference to me. But they always thought it was weird. What is your spiritual beliefs or religion? Do you have any? You, you just mentioned that you believe that you have past lives. Yeah, so mm -hmm. what do you actually believe about the metaphysical world? Thing is that to me, uh, that world and this world are not separate. It's one reality, but because we don't experience that other dimension, we think it's separate, but they are not. It's a single force, single consciousness, but it has multiple expressions. So what you call metaphysical, to me, is not metaphysical. It is subtle physical. Hmm. Wow. Because just like quantum world. Now, quantum world is not metaphysical world. It is physical world, but the physical world which we cannot see by our eyes because it is a micro world. So it's, it's a world that's still happening and is fully alive. We're just not tapped into it. That's right. It is all around us, in us, surrounding us, soaking us. But because we are not aware, so we think it belongs to somewhere else. So it is our own ignorance. 
Have you met anybody that's really tapped into that other world? So many people. I met so many people, particularly living in monastery. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So what was life like as a pediatrician? You were you were doing like a very great service, you know, helping children with illnesses. Why did you start to switch to being a teacher of naturality? Thing is that I was not interested in pediatrics. I did my medicine because I wanted my place in the society, my status in the society. But I was not interested in becoming a medical doctor. But in India, as you know, there is a more poverty, few opportunities. So I got opportunity to become a medical doctor. So I thought I will do it. But that was not my interest. But the advantage was that by after becoming pediatrician, it gave me tremendous freedom because now my identity was established in the society. I had my place in society, so I became comfortable. So now I could explore what was dear to me. But my interest in medicine was never, never there. But it became a stepping stone to something else. And that is naturality. So yeah, in medicine, do you think that someone should be fully reliant on natural medicine? Or are there occasions where you believe that Western medicine is a a necessary or a good thing? Oh, yes. Because, you know, in certain condition, Western medicine is absolutely vital. If you really look into the history of Western medicine, it is the most powerful, effective system of therapy ever created in human history. But it is not complete. If you are really see the miracle of Western medicine, I mean, average life expectancy in developed countries is 90 years. Almost all epidemics are eliminated. We are living much healthier life than we ever lived. And that is up to great extent, that is a miracle of the magic of the western medicine but it is not complete why it is not complete number one chronic problems of any kind number two prevention number three lifestyle management because western medicine doesn't instruct you about your lifestyle and that is where it is lacking so it is excellent in in preventing certain diseases it is excellent in curing many problems saving your life because there were so many things but is still the lifestyle part and also how to maintain health and prevent or or manage the chronic problem. Western medicine doesn't have those answers yet. And that is where other systems should come in. And you think naturality has a scientific backing to all your beliefs? Yes, because that is the underpinning of whole of naturality, that we want to connect it to science because science is the connecting link of naturality. Like if you go to South America, North America, Africa, Europe, Asia, what do you think is common? Uh, science. Yeah, that's, yeah, definitely science. Everywhere in the world, in education, science is almost essential subject. So if you really want to connect to the world culture, how you will connect to the science? You cannot connect with a specific cultural myth or a story or a Bible or Gita or this and that. It is a science. Language of science will be understood by a South African, by a South American, by a North American, by an Indian, a Pakistani, by a Japanese or by Australian. Hmm. Am I right? I think so. What do you mean by science? What is your definition of science? Science means uh, which is based on evidence, reason, and logic. Mm. Because science means 
knowledge. But this knowledge is not absolutely personal. It is also impersonal, which you can prove in multiple locations. So you give an injection of antibiotic, whether in Africa or Australia or India, it doesn't matter. It will bring relief because it contains antibiotic. Yeah. So there has to be some common factor which is accepted by most people. And if you speak that language of region, logic, evidence, but I'm not saying that is the whole story, but that is the connecting language. Because what language I should speak, which will connect naturality with most of the people of the world. And I found science is that language. So how can people all over the world get involved in naturality that you're teaching? Are you running some courses or seminars right now that you want to share? Yeah, because we are running in Canada, then of course in India, and we are going to Ecuador in September, two weeks course, and there are invitations from other places also. Are these courses still open for new people to join? Oh, anyone. Because this is the beginning of the spread. So far, we were consolidating the teachings of naturality. We wanted to make sure everything is in place and nothing is based on belief or blind faith. So there was a whole lot of preparation went into into it. But now we are ready and the process begins now. What does a two-week naturality course look like? Uh, well, that is mainly about how to discover the natural personality and through natural personality, our healing energy and how to heal ourselves and others. So, so basically, discovering my natural personality and then healing energy. Hmm. Yeah, cool. Well, you'll have to send me a link to some of those openings because I think maybe one or two people listening might be interested in exploring that. Sure. Um, before we before we wrap this up, is there anything that I didn't ask about or that you would like to share um, to advise people for how to come into a greater sense of purpose in their life? Yeah. Again, the thing is that, as I say, the most beautiful book to study is the book of my own life, your life. And that book is inside all of us. And that book contains the meaning and purpose and destiny of our life. And the way to study is to enter into natural personality, which is not a complex process. Yeah. Would you be able to or would you would you mind leading us in, in a three to five minute uh, meditation to kind of tap into that beautiful book inside? So it will be a guided meditation. Okay. It should be in silence, whatever you like. Can you guide us just so we can maybe know a little bit? If, if someone's never meditated, how, how can they kind of frame their mind around this? So in order to meditate, uh, closing our eyes, shoulders are relaxed. Our breathing is normal and regular, easy. And bringing our focus, gentle and relaxed focus, to the center of our chest. And from that point, enter into our heart space, which is deep in our chest. So we are feeling our heart deep in our chest, center of it. And in that heart space, we are going to visualize, imagine or feel a light or a flame. That flame or light is the center of our being. So visualize, imagine or feel and allow the glow of that light or flame to fill our 
whole body from within. So slowly the warm glow of the light or flame is filling our whole body from within. Our head space, our eyes and face are filled with it. Our neck, shoulders and arms are filled with it. Our chest and belly is filled with it. And our legs and feet are filled with it. Whole body from inside is filled with gentle, warm glow. We see it, we feel it. And then, whenever we feel, slowly opening our eyes. So this is meditation on inner light. Thank you very much. You're wonderful. Thanks, uh, Tanur. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. Your words are going to be very helpful to a lot of people, I think. And yeah, definitely part of me. Thank you. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this episode or the podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, join our intentional group Purpose Seekers from the Facebook page. Join in longer-form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sails and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming 